Welcome to the Chasing Passion Podcast. My name is Dom and I'm your host. Each week, I bring on a passionate person to help you discover your own passion in life and how to begin pursuing it. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let the episode begin. This week, we're joined by nutritionist and coach Brian Ahengusa. He's the head coach of the Fit Clinic, which provides online nutrition coaching to its clients. He describes himself as a people helper and a health guy. He graduated from UCD in human nutrition and has completed level 1 and 2 from Precision Nutrition. He previously worked with Body First Nutrition, but now works full-time with the Fit Clinic. He is also fascinated with many different things, including stoic philosophy, physical training, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. In this episode, we discuss what optimal health looks like, how relationships affect your health, the power of solitude, ensuring you have enough nutrients in your diet, along with many other super interesting topics. I hope you enjoy the episode, and without further ado, let's jump right in. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey Dom, how are you doing? It's great to be here. Thanks so much for coming on. So I guess the first question I want to ask you is your background. Who you are, what do you do, and what are you all about? Yeah, so I am a nutritionist. I studied in UCD, like yourself, and I did. I got my bachelor's in human nutrition there. And then after that, I went on to do a further couple of coaching courses with online with Precision Nutrition. Um, they're, so they're, they're coaching courses, but they're nutrition orientated. So they'll teach you a lot about nutrition too, if you needed that. And then in 2017, I started working for the Fit Clinic as a nutrition coach and nutritionist. And the Fit Clinic, we're uh, an online nutrition coaching and consultancy service. So we work with hundreds of clients on a one-to-one basis, all online, so you can do it from anywhere in the world. I can do it from anywhere in the world, and the clients can be anywhere in the world, which is great. And we work with with all of our clients. They'll have a quite a wide variety of goals. So we have a team of coaches, so there's seven of us at the moment, and we all have quite different skill sets. So it means that you can be well paired up with the coach that's going to suit you best, which I think is pretty cool. That's not something you will get a lot, I don't think, in other coaching services that I'm aware of. So we can really help a wide range of people, whatever they're, it could be health goals, it could be fitness goals, it could be something like clinically digestive health. Um, personally, I work with a lot of people who have really poor relationships with food. So maybe they have elements of orthorexia where they're afraid to eat quote unquote bad foods or they have disordered eating patterns like restriction and binging, um, issues with food labeling, labeling foods as good or bad, and that sort of thing. But it's, it's quite a wide range. We work with athletes as well. Most people that we work with are into physical activity or training to some extent, but not everybody. It's definitely not a requisite. Hmm. So you always kind of had this interest in health and nutrition and all that kind of stuff. But I'm curious to know, why did you choose nutrition in college? Like, did you, did someone tell you to do or did you kind of like, ah, I'm going to do nutrition? Like, how was that? What, what did the decision process look like there? So my origin story is when I was in secondary school, I was playing sports. I was playing basketball and I've always been, I always was quite skinny and thin. And when I was playing that would obviously affect your performance uh, in any sort of sport where physicality is required. So I decided as soon as I was old enough, as soon as I was 16, I was going to go to the gym and start getting bigger and getting stronger. 
and like a lot of us do, I just became very, very interested in that whole process of how you can go in there, you can lift weights, your body adapts. And then the key point, I suppose, for me is what you feed yourself makes a huge impact on your mm. results and your progress there. So I was very, very interested in that. And it, it grew through the, the latter half of my secondary school days. So then when the CAO came around to decide what was I going to do in college, it was, it was probably going to be something health related. And the fact that nutrition was there and that's what I'd gravitated the most towards. Like I was there very interested in training just as because I was I enjoyed it and I, I like to read a lot about it. I still do. And but also the nutrition aspect. So I said, okay, nutrition, that could be a good one to go for. And so that's what I put down as first on my CAO and got that. And that is, yeah, that's that's how it happened. And I haven't I haven't looked back, thankfully. I haven't uh, had any crises where I feel like I need to <laughs> needed to bail out and, and try a new career. So I'm uh, fortunate in that sense that it was it was something that I was interested in, something that I was passionate about, and there was a way to pursue that. Mm. And that's what led me there. And I right. think that's that's probably the main stepping stone is, you know, I was interested in this. Then I said, okay, well, I can pursue it further, potentially with a career this way. So let's try that and see what happens. Mm. And, you know, it worked out well. And it's obviously a difficult question to answer, but um, let's just say, like, what did you learn the most from your course? Like, if you could summarize, perhaps, like, the biggest takeaways you got from your course. Yeah. Yeah, I'd nearly say I've learned more since finishing. <laughs> right, um, okay. I think I think my, my learning has been more, even more so, you have to be self-directed in college anyway, but even more self-directed. Afterwards, yeah. S- since leaving and... I've definitely learned a lot since since I've graduated and since I've left. But in terms of what college will teach you, obviously there's there's a huge amount of nutritional science, which is very important for doing what I do. But for my particular job, it's it's almost more important that you can understand psychology and behavior change and how to create that and how to actually coach people into making those changes that they need to because it's no good having all the information. Like I probably have almost too much inform- more information than most people will need or knowledge in terms of nutrition science. So most people don't need more knowledge. They just need to be to learn how to apply what we're talking about. So college definitely teaches you a lot of uh, critical thinking skills. Um, scientific literacy is really important for what we do in terms of staying on top of, of current research. And you need to have some sort of an eye for that as well. So college is really good for that. And... Yeah, I suppose those are the main things. Um, it was very, very science heavy, the the course that I did, and very little in terms of how to actually apply this to people. So that's why I had to go on and do more in that respect to to become the more well-rounded person that I am in my job now. Mm. Okay. And you mentioned that you work in Fit Clinic. So what exactly does Fit Clinic do? It's just an online platform for people to kind of um, assess their health and stuff like that, is it? What's kind of the thorough explanation there? So yeah, it's a it's a coaching coaching consultancy service. So say if you wanted to sign up to the Fit Clinic, you mm-hmm. would go onto our website, thefitclinic.ie. You fill in a screening form to give us plenty of background information on you and what your goals are. Mm-hmm. Then you'll be assigned to a coach, and then 
we we contact you and then we you know put a plan in place say okay based on your goals and your situation this is how i think we should proceed so let's let's look at doing this and then the clients will you know they have unlimited access to us by via email and you can also book calls if you want to talk to us like we are doing now but it's mostly through email and then once a week they will fill in a check-in form which is is like gathers lots of data for the week and gives us feedback and then we talk about you know how how are your goals progressing based on this week what do you need to work on what went well and we proceed as such until until you know the main thing is you want them to be self-sufficient and be able to do the, do what they want to do without us as coaches so the main goal is to not have any clients but um you know, there's always new people who need help, and of course, yeah. you know, hopefully, once they come through, they won't need us again. Or sometimes people come back just they just need a, a tune up, or just want to get their habits on track again, and then they'll go off and do it themselves. Mm. So yeah, it's a weekly check-in process, and we just coach away. So I like to think about the coaching process is I help guide people to where they want to go. Um, an analogy I like to use a lot is if we're on a ship, then the client is the the ship's captain, so ultimately they decide what they're going to do, where they're going to go, they're going to make all the decisions, and then myself or any of the other coaches are like a navigator. We can help point them in the right direction, we can guide them, but ultimately taking control is up to them, and that's what we want. We want people to feel empowered to be able to take control of their health and fitness goals. Mm. And what does your day-to-day life look like as a coach? Like, what do you have to do, like, morning to evening, like, when, you, when you're working away? Is it mostly actually physical, or is it online, or is it a bit of a combination of both? It's pretty much 100% online. Okay, so, oh, okay, right. So, for that reason, it's it's very flexible, the the hours that I do. And mm-hmm. the, bulk of my, the bulk of my day will be processing check-ins. So, you know, I have three days that are very check-in heavy a week um then two where there's not so much where i do other stuff like writing and, and content creation and i also have more time or i i allocate more time for studying on those days but you know the most of the work is doing my client check-ins responding to emails making sure they're all getting on okay and moving towards their goals and yeah so like i said there's it's very flexible um i suppose the only constraint is that we need to turn around check-ins within 24 hours and turn around replies to emails within 24 hours. But within that, it means there's a lot of flexibility. And yeah, the bulk of the day is just get those check-ins done, make sure everyone's getting on okay. And yeah, then I, like I said, there's I give a couple of days per week where I do more writing. So maybe articles or blogs or make videos, things like that. And that's the, yeah, that's that's the bulk of it within and i'd like to get into the whole writing and content creation aspect so where do you do this writing just blogs and articles do you have like a website that you that you post or is this on fit clinic and then what kind of content you create as well yeah so we we put out a lot of free content on our website which is the fitclinic.ie um there's an education hub there which has plenty of articles and i make uh, youtube videos for our members in our facebook group uh, post them there. Also do uh, Facebook Q and A's mm. live for our members. So it's a private closed group for our members. Do Q and A's there. Do videos there on different topics. And also on social media, we put out a lot of content on, particularly Instagram. 
there's a, a lot of a lot of good blog posts that are good helpful content there and yeah that's that's pretty much what it is i do i do some writing for blogs with uh, for body first nutrition as well which i was telling you about off air that's mm. where i worked um since i graduated i no longer work there but when when i graduated it's a sports nutrition company they also have a website bodyfirst.ie um so i do some yeah do some writing for them as well and occasionally we'll do talks uh and seminar type things as well um depending if, if there's a demand for that you know mm. and what kind of skills do you think people need in order like let's just say there's someone out there who wants to do what you want to do what kind of skills are required for you to do those to do that job yeah it's a good question and like i alluded to already it's not even as much about having knowledge mm. of nutrition science just obviously like that's a requisite for sure but in terms of like skills, you need to be, it's not going to make much sense to say be a good listener, but be a good, because I'm look like it's mostly email, but you need to be receptive to what people are saying to you. You need to be empathetic and you need to be compassionate and you really need to hear people. And like one of my, one of my favorite resources for coaches is the book Motivational Interviewing. And it's... It's all about conversations that lead to making changes. So a lot of the time you're, you're trying to coax someone to coming to their own, to solving their own problems, if you like. Mm. So while I do obviously offer a lot of solutions myself and, and information myself, I think it's more valuable to ask people, you know, okay, well, what do you think? What do you think you could do here? And that's often something we'll prompt people with in their in their check-ins is what do you want to work on this week for yourself? Because mm. there, there's, a, there's something different about when someone comes to that themselves, says, I'm going to do this. There's that sense of autonomy right. and that they're, they're, they're guiding it and making some of the decisions themselves. Mm. They're a lot more likely to engage with it then mm. and therefore they get, they get better results. Uh, so communication skills as well are really important obviously being able to get your points across, not getting too heavy on technical terms or scientific terms. So if you can be, if you can simplify as much as possible, do that. And yeah, that's, that's, they're pretty much the skills that, that you need to have is empathy, being able to communicate properly, having good awareness of psychology and behavior change, and obviously nutrition science. That's a, that's a given. Uh, you must you must have that. Yeah, of course. But I think everything else is what differentiates a like a, an okay coach from a great coach. Mm. It's the, it's almost like the people skills. Mm. And then in terms of the nutritional science, like there's so much information out there, and a lot of it's kind of kind of controversial. Like one one paper might say one thing, the other paper might say the other thing, and so on. I'm curious to know where do you get your information out of? Like how do you trust a certain source? And um, like how do you consistently learn new information and so on because I, I assume it's a field that always growing there's more and more research done so i'm curious to know like how do you know uh where to get your information out of yeah it's, that's a really good question and it's a really good point because it is constantly evolving mm. even more so than a lot of fields i think and so that's another important skill to have doing what what i do is you need to be very open-minded and you need to be prepared to change your mind on some belief or something you may have thought to be true maybe two three years ago 
you need to be prepared to absolutely kill that, admit that. Well, it's, it's not about admitting you're wrong as such, but it's like, okay, based on the new information, I'm not going to doggedly cling on to that thing which I thought was true. I'm going to see the information for what it is. So not, not having biases as much as possible, that's very difficult to have no bias at all. But for the most part, not, have, not being biased, not holding on to certain viewpoints and just seeing the evidence for what it is. So in that respect, um, obviously, the, obviously primary scientific papers are a good place to look. Now, I wouldn't say I have a particular flair for reading and interpreting papers. So what I tend to do a lot is use research reviews that other people who do have that flair for interpretation. So the likes of Danny Lennon on Sigma Nutrition, uh, his website and his podcast. He doesn't have a research review as such, but also Alan Flanagan, who has Alan Aya Nutrition. Uh, it's only launched this year. Um, that's a, that's an excellent place to help interpret evidence and mm. see for what it is. Like Alan is one of the best people I've ever come across in terms of being unbiased and his ability to interpret evidence and literature and you know, put it in a way that people can understand. It, it, now, in fairness, he's, he's probably a bit beyond a layperson who doesn't have much of a, a background in nutrition, but for anyone who is in, involved in that's their profession, uh, excellent place to go. And like similarly, him and, him and Danny have teamed up on some stuff now as well. So Danny's another person. His seminars are very good. The Sigma Nutrition seminars, weekends, I've gone to a few of those. He, he is a real flair for interpreting research and, you know, showing you what you can do. Other research reviews would be the likes of examine.com, who are probably well known for supplements in particular. So they're the best resource online for um, evidence around different supplements. But they also have a nutrition research review, which is really good. There is a weightology by James Krieger is another one. Um, so that, that's where I get most of my learning from is from research reviews where they will read the papers and will give you, you know, feedback based on that and interpretation. And, you know, it's, it's never going to be perfect because we're all human. We're all prone to being biased at times and making mistakes. But, you know, if it's a person you can trust and maybe if you're subscribed to several of these research reviews, you're going to get a, a holistic sense of the evidence. And when you're looking at studies as well, that's where looking at things like meta-analyses comes in because in terms of they will take the evidence from many, many studies and try to see what the overall conclusions are based on that. And, you know, they're not perfect either, but they're probably the best bet for trying to get a, an overall view of something, of a, a particular subject in nutrition or anything else as opposed to just reading one study here and there because you can find you can find studies to say anything and you'll always find conflicting evidence and that can be based on how the study was done um you know faults of the researchers like I said, we're all human we're all prone to to making mistakes at this stuff so at least in a meta-analysis it's all that pooled together and saying okay what's the net outcome here based on everything that we've looked at so they're, they're a good place to go as well. Mm. Um, and there's, there's plenty of other good resources. Like uh, I know you had Gary on from Triage Methods, uh, Skinny Guys. 
they they put out a huge amount of really good free content on their website, uh, him and Paddy. Um, obviously, we write a lot of stuff on the Fit Clinic as well. Uh, Lyle McDonald has a really good website. That's uh, bodyrecomposition.com. And he has a lot of really good books as well that I've learned a lot from. Renaissance Periodization, they have some really good books as well. And yeah, they're, and Precision Nutrition, which is who I did my uh, coaching certs with, they have lots and lots of articles and podcasts. And obviously, their, their actual certification courses are going to teach you a lot as well. So that is where I get the, the bulk of my learning from, I would say. Mm. And I'm very curious to ask you this question. So there's a lot of professionals in your field, obviously. And I feel like a lot of them have different views. Like I do, I do not work in nutrition and so on, but like just by reading different um, posts from other people, like there's a lot of kind of conflicting advice, I guess. So like, I guess the question is, what advice do you often hear from other professionals that you believe is untrue? It mostly comes down to people having like extreme or polarizing viewpoints, which is what you see a lot. So it's it's the people who are more bland and less sure of what they're saying are probably closer to the money because now it's not very it's not very sexy to have a more balanced approach or view and it's not as attractive and when you're trying to stand out in this field it makes it difficult. So I think people will attach themselves to certain ideologies like you know low carb is the best way or keto is the best way or you mm. must be vegan and there's even the carnivore crowd as well and that's like you know the, the best way for optimal health is to only eat meat and not and forgo all plant products and foods so whenever you see that sort of polarization and extremism i think that's the that's the biggest issue in my field at the moment and a lot of the time what you'll see is that we'll agree on like probably 70 or 80 percent like there's a um, precision nutrition put out a really good interesting venn diagram there the other day where they took all like different dietary ideologies like i don't think you should have an ideology first of all that if you have an ideology or a dietary philosophy that you're attached to you're you're probably going in the wrong direction because like i already said you need to be prepared to look at new evidence and you need to be prepared to kill your darlings as Alan, Alan Flanagan says and based on your research so not having any emotional attachment to any sort of dietary pursuit is important and just look at what, what the evidence says and even based on what the evidence says there's not a huge amount that we can say conclusively like really hang your hat on now there's obviously there's certain things like a high protein diet is pretty important for most people and most people's goals eating a lot of plants, fruits and vegetables and fiber is, is important for the majority of people. Again, not everyone. You can't fit everyone under any of these uh, headings. We all pretty much need a certain amount of omega-3 fats from marine sources. So that's from fish or if you're supplementing, it's krill oil or fish oil or algae oil. If you're vegan, you need to take an algae oil. But beyond that, and for the most part, eating Foods that are, I would say, minimally processed. I even have issue with the, using the word processed because all foods are processed to some degree. Like, you know, minced beef is processed, but obviously it's a, a whole food. So it's even difficult to describe 
but I think people know what I mean when they say when I say whole foods that are minimally processed. Carrot, potato, all these kind of things. <laughs> exactly. And if most of your diet is made up of those things, mm. you're probably doing pretty well. Um, so yeah, it's the main issue I think with or the to, you know to answer your question is to is where people say, okay, no, this is the way and you 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 must have this and you can't have this. Because it's it's very very grey feel like it's not black and white, and um, that is, that is the main issue I would think. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because like there's a lot of people who like, adopt a vegan diet, like a lot of people more and more, and then we have the carnivore diet, like I said, Jordan Peterson is example, and I think it's it's like there's obviously some sort of benefit to it, but again, you can't really apply it to every single person out there. But I'm curious as well because you know, for example, let's talk about the veganism diet because it's very. It's getting very popular right now, which I agree. Like everybody should eat more veg, everybody should eat more fruits, grains, and all these kind of plant-based foods. And like I think, I think that's okay, an okay thing to do. But like personally, I I was I was trying to go on it for a little bit, but right now it's like more like ninety percent plants and then ten percent of whatever. Because I think mm. I think meat is still healthy as long as it's organic, you know, like proper, not just processed like chicken nuggets or whatever. Like obviously not not great for you i don't know like i'm just curious to know like what's your opinion on on that kind of um topic like the vegan topic yeah yeah so i i completely agree that we can all do with eating more plants and if if more awareness around the vegan diet pushes people to eat more plants then i'm all for that certainly because that's one of the main things that i'm trying to help people to do is to eat more plant foods because there's so many benefits to it Hmm. Now, the issue becomes when you have things like the Game Changers documentary coming out Completely that best, yeah. explicitly tell people that vegan diet, the vegan diet is the best one for, for performance and you need to stop eating animal products. Now, there's the, there's the ethical and environmental sustainability component to that as well, which is another talking point. But in terms of what I look at, and that's, health is mostly what i'm looking at for people i don't think the vegan diet is the the best way to do it i think eating more plants is ex- is an excellent idea for health but i think that quality animal products so you know meats that are relatively unprocessed poultry that's relatively unprocessed most of the time eggs fish all that has so many nutrients to offer that it's it's silly to to cut them all out of your diet. And if you do, like you can obviously do it. And I work with plenty of vegan clients anyway, but there's so much more micromanagement required of the diet and so much extra supplementation required just to make sure that they're not missing any, any nutrients and they're not going to be deficient in anything, which is probably one of the key factors for me from a, from a health standpoint. It's like, how do you eat to be healthy? Well, you, you get an abundance of all the nutrients that you need. So all the vitamins and minerals, uh, you know, phytonutrients from plants, you get enough fiber, you get enough protein for recovery uh, because and our bodies are mostly made up of protein anyway. The parts that aren't water are mostly protein. So that that's one issue with a vegan diet. It's very hard to get enough quality protein. Um, you know, I, pretty much all my vegan clients have to use a protein powder because they can't hit their protein targets otherwise. So I think a, a high-quality omnivorous diet is the, the best. So like you said, mostly plants for sure, but also having a certain amount of animal protein sources pretty much 
you know, based on whatever your requirements are, whatever your goals are. Uh, I think that's the best way to do it. Mm. So what does your actual diet look like on a day-to-day basis? So on a day-to-day basis, I eat a ton of fruits and vegetables. So probably 10 or more servings per day of those. Um, I usually eat about three meals a day. Um, not that meal frequency is that important. I'm just telling you that's, that's, that's how I do it. And I prioritize getting quite a large serving of protein at every meal and quite a large serving of plants and then, you know, carbohydrates and extra fats as needed. And it's, it's mostly whole foods. So what uh, for breakfast I had, uh, the breakfast I've been having a lot uh, the last while is porridge with uh, whey protein. And then I have this greens powder that's chocolate flavor and it tastes class. (laughs) And I mix that into the porridge um, which is something I got from uh, Larry Doyle and, and Kate Kelly, if you know them. Um, and I had some flax seeds to that because they have important omega-3s in them. And then I have a massive bowl of frozen fruit that I heat up so it's kind of warm and juicy. And that's breakfast. Lunch will be some sort of protein source with some sort of carbohydrates, lots of vegetables and or fruit. Uh, I'll make a lot of soup just to supplement meals to get even more veg in. And then dinner is, is pretty much the same thing again. So like for lunch today, I'll have slow-cooked pork chops, um, a lot of roast vegetables, and probably potatoes, I would say, or bread as the carb sources. And that's what most of my meals look like. Mm. Um, plenty of oily fish in there to get those marine omega-3s that I mentioned. And... Yeah, lots of whole grains to to get the fiber in. A decent amount of pulses and legumes. Um, again, they're a good source of fiber and a little bit of protein and carbohydrate. That's pretty much what it looks like. It's it's mostly plants, fair bit of animal protein. Uh, I eat a lot of dairy products as well, so a lot of uh, fat-free yogurt to try get uh, to meet my protein targets and like whey protein. It's also dairy. So that's what it looks like, and then supplement as needed so like vitamin d at the moment uh, because we're not getting enough sunlight between october and march to synthesize enough from just the sun so everyone needs to be supplementing with with vitamin d pretty much at the moment and uh yeah that that pretty much covers how i eat so yeah you obviously try and follow just a varied diet trying to incorporate as many different kind of nutrients and foods in general which which i agree i'm i'm personally trying to take that approach as well um, and I'm curious to know, going back on your job, because um, I like to base this podcast around jobs and, you know, like what kind of careers are interesting for people. So I'm curious to know, like, what's the favorite part about the work that you do right now? Yeah, so the favorite part of what I do is it's incredibly rewarding and incredibly fulfilling to help people and to see them successfully make those changes. And especially for me and the the subset of clients I work with a lot that I mentioned, it's like seeing their mindset switch and being able to let go of these hangups they have around food and this idea they need to restrict certain things and just, just yeah, having those breakthroughs is probably my favorite part. And it can be very difficult to get to those points for sure. Like, so it can be, it can be tough at times and, you know, you are, you are almost acting like a therapist for for everybody on a weekly basis. So it can be tough at times, but incredibly rewarding just to 
just to see people make those changes and then when they get to that point where it's like they're ready to to leave the nest so to speak and they can go and do it themselves and they've learned enough and you know you've helped them get to that point it's i love it like it and i'm incredibly grateful that people would trust me to help them with that like it's class and you know I, i can never get sick of that and the novelty of that never wears off that all these people are like you know brian i trust you i want you to help me with this and i'm like hell yeah let's get it that's <laughs> yeah. uh yeah that's what i love most about it for sure sounds awesome and um, what about the not so sexy part what are the difficulties the challenges the the tedious work you have to do perhaps yeah it's there's not too much tedious stuff thankfully i suppose one difficult aspect of it is there's very little cons to the job but i suppose one is that it can be hard to switch off at times so i will check my emails every day of the week you know seven days a week so and especially in january and february when there's there's an influx of clients and a lot of people to work with uh you know you're working every day and because it's online and because it's always on the laptop you know it's it can be hard to just switch it off at times and give yourself you know space away from it and you know to an extent it's not that big a deal because you know i love doing it anyway but it is important i think to have that recuperation and rest time where you're away from work and you're not thinking about work so that's that's the only thing really that i can think of that can be difficult at times like obviously if you're struggling with a client which obviously happens you know that's challenging that's difficult but you know we need some amount of challenge to push us and you know that'll push me to go and try and figure this out and say you know learn more and get better and you know, you want to have that Goldilocks zone where you're being pushed just enough where you're not feeling overwhelmed and like the walls are closing in around you, but also that it's not too easy and too simple and it's not stimulating. So, yeah, there's there's very little I don't like about the job. Um, probably the only thing is that sometimes I could probably try and switch off more than I do. Hmm. And I'm curious to know for any listeners perhaps who want to try such a service, how much does it cost to like uh, get a consultation with yourself or whatever you know to to do the program with fit clinic yeah so the program it's a monthly subscription or membership so it's 99 euros per month at the moment and we do ask that people sign up for a minimum of three months you don't have to pay up front but just know that it is a recurring subscription for three months because you need that amount of time really to make any meaningful changes and make any meaningful habit formations because if if you imagine that someone signs up for a month depending on where they're currently at like it, it's very dependent on the individual like if someone who's already experienced with this and they just need more advanced help then you know maybe you could get a lot co- accomplished in a month but for the most part and for most people we need to there's a there's a certain element of you know getting to know each other first of all and you know, I'm not going to have the perfect plan 100% of the time from day one. I'm going to have to adjust. I'm going to have to tweak things until we finally get to a point where it's running nicely and things are going well and we're overcoming any obstacles that, that are popping up. And really to make a lot of significant changes or to see significant changes, yeah, it's going to take at least it's going to take at least until the like second or third month probably before they're really going to start to start snowballing based on the the good foundations that we lay in the initial few weeks, if that makes sense. 
And that can be hard at times because people want the results now or yesterday and they don't want to have to wait too long. I think that's just an element of the society that we live in with the quick fixes, but it very rarely works like that. Hmm. And your job is completely online, like pretty much 100%. Can you travel like just to go to like, I don't know, Hawaii or whatever and just sit there on your laptop and do your client work? Is that possible for you? It is possible. And that is something that I tried to make the most of beginning last year. So I was away for about three months last year. Uh, I was in I was in Los Angeles for a couple of weeks and then Vancouver in Canada visiting friends of mine. And then in October, I went to Bali for the month. And from Bali, I went to New Zealand because one of my best friends has has moved out there. So it was, that was the main that was the point of the trip to go to New Zealand. But I said, hey, I, I can go to Bali on the way. So why not? Um, I will say, though, for if you ever see people online posting pictures of them working like beside a pool or something, they're not they're not working because if you try and bring a laptop down beside a pool or a beach or something, you can't see shit like the glare is too bad. It's too hot and you're not getting anything done. So that's just that's just for show. Like, you know, technically you could do it. But in real terms, when I'm away in these places, I'm working like in my room if there's a desk or I'm in like a cafe or some sort of shared workspace and actually getting work done. So, you know, but it's, it's class. Like it's, it's one of the, the best things about the job that is completely remote for the most part. Um, and it does mean I can travel and work at the same time. So that is definitely one of my favorite things about it. And it's something I'm going to try milk for all it's worth now, uh, this year again, hopefully. And, uh, until, you know, continuously until I decide I'm going to stay in one place for longer. Mm. And where do you see yourself like in five years time with this job or where, where are you trying to go? Is it like a certain destination you're moving towards? Uh, what's the plan there? It's about, it's about growing the fit clinic as a, as a company. And I think, I think it has potential to, you know, to be one of the best nutrition coaching companies in the world given enough time. So that's really what, what I'm focused on and what we're focused on is trying to make make the services bigger and better, trying to provide more value. It all comes back to providing value. So in terms of content creation, um, we have different projects in mind that we want to roll out as time goes on. So where would I see myself? Like I want I want to see myself as, you know, head coach in one of the best and most reputable nutrition coaching services that there is and yeah that would be that'd be class mm. and what's your definition of optimal health and what are you doing to achieve it my definition of optimal health suppose be is physical and mental well-being those mm-hmm. combined where i suppose you can do everything you want to do without feeling like you're being held back so much i think a lot of it comes down to your mentality and your mindset um so like more so the the mental side but then there are there are things you need to tick off in terms of getting enough nutrients and getting enough sleep and not being chronically stressed all the time um those sort of things but yeah physical and mental vitality i would say is is what optimal health looks like and that's not to say that you're going to you're going to feel 100% all of the time either and i think that's realistic but doing as best you can to 
to put yourself in that position and doing the right things. Hmm. And yeah, like there was an interesting study done about relationships, for example. I think <clears throat> like the happiest people in the world or the people who live the longest are the mm. people who have great relationships with other people and so on. And apparently like it's the same as smoking a cigarette each day if you don't have any friends, like stuff like this. And I think that's so important as well for like health and fitness as well. So I just wanted to add that on. And I'm curious to know, like what are you kind of um, doing to achieve optimal health? on a yeah, daily basis like do you really follow good. any routines do you what kind of food well you mentioned food but like you know you know what i mean yeah so obviously there's the nutrition aspect and the relationship points you made there is really important and that's the thing about health like it's so multifactorial yeah, multi yeah. and th this is an example i often use for people and clients is you know wh which person is healthier the person that turns down an invitation to go out to dinner with their friends because they don't want to slip up on their diet so they stay at home alone and they eat their chicken and broccoli or whatever it is you know which person is healthier there and it's probably the person that goes out for dinner has whatever the dinner is even if it's not a quote-unquote optimal food that doesn't matter like me and some of my friends and coaches in the industry will joke about turning down the say nutrition dial to turn up the social health dial and you need to you need to have a hand in all of those and yeah you're right it's you know loneliness and not having any friends is like one of the biggest detriments to health um that there is so it's it's interesting it's like if you've really great social connections and lots of great people around you and you're really happy in your social circles you can probably get away with not eating as well for example, uh, or not exercising as much. So it's it's very, very multifaceted and it's very interesting. But in terms of what I do on a daily basis to, to be healthy, obviously I, I train regularly. So I go to the gym and in the last year I've gotten into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm doing a lot of that. Um, I, I have a dog, so I bring him for walks twice a day. So that gets both of us out walking, which is good. And also in natural environments, which is important. Spending time in nature is great. And um, I try to get enough sleep. Obviously, I think sleep is one that I came across in terms of the importance of it when I was in college. And just realized how crap my performance was, like mentally and physically, when I wasn't sleeping enough. Uh, I was in like second year of college. I was sleeping like five hours a night or something but I was still because the college days were so long and there was a lot of lab reports and homework and things to do but I was I was still going to the gym before college and like my performance was getting worse and I was ended up in worse shape for doing all that so I really learned the importance of sleep um back around that time uh which for your physical and mental health like it's it's critical and I yeah, you know, I do. I do things to try and work on work on my mindset and keep that strong. So that's where the the Stoic Stoicism comes in, the Stoic philosophy. I study a lot of that and read a lot of that, and that's part of my daily routine. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people have taken away from, say, my social media is that you know I often share excerpts from the Daily Stoic, and you know that's a book that I've great book, I've, yeah. Yeah, I've given you know 10 20 copies of that away at least to people uh, basically if anyone ever shows any interest in it it's like all right here's a copy of it <laughs> you have one now um so i find that really helpful and that's been something 
in the last few years that's been incredibly valuable to me and then to share that with other people is great and it shows you how universal it is the i suppose the, the human experience that we go all go through the same things and you know it's it's mad with the stoicism it's these texts are a couple of thousand years old yet they're still very very applicable mm. um and the messages in them so that's one thing to keep in mind that you know whatever you're going through chances are someone else somewhere has gone through it as well at some point um so you're not alone in that there's lots of little prompts and maxims i have for myself to try and keep you know the mindset strong and the the stoicism definitely helps and practicing gratitude actually uh, journaling that is hugely important i think that's one of the best things you can do for your overall health and well-being and happiness is to regularly take stock of what you're grateful for and what you appreciate in your life and write those things down and trying to maintain perspective on how good life is and how lucky we are and that's why that's why myself and people like gary read so much of things like the gulag archipelago and things like accounts from auschwitz and concentration camps and things like that because when you can put that in perspective compared to what you're going through it's like all right we, we have a pretty pretty fucking good uh compared to that so there there's some of the things i do to work on my mindset um so i'll definitely have some reading on a daily basis um and in terms of health like especially for mental well-being i think making time for things that you care about and that are important to you is one of the most important things and to do that obviously you need to know what's important to you and what you care about which is you know we'll probably get onto that at some point in this conversation but that's one of the main things that uh, I think people need to do is actually know themselves that bit better than they probably do. And, you know, it's not necessarily making time for just, you know, say watching TV or whatever. It's like, is that that important to you? Maybe it is. And in that case, sure, make time for it. But for me, it's things like like reading and learning. So if, if that ever starts to slip and take a back seat, for whatever reason, I can notice my mood, say, deteriorate because my behaviors aren't aligning with what my main values and priorities are. So I think if you can match up behaviors to what's important to you, that is one of the best ways to feel good on a regular basis. So making time for those things. So for me, like reading and learning is one of the most important things to me. So I need to make time for that regularly. And if I don't, you know, that's an act of self-care, let's say. Well, you said a lot of things. I agree with everything you said there, especially with the whole um, making time for things that are important to you. So for like, I think like, yeah, reading and learning for me is definitely one of the things as well. Like I do that in my morning, like a bit of stoicism as well in the morning, then evening time I read some maybe books that just let me ex expand my mind and just expand my thinking. And then like, I also think solitude is quite important because like, we believe though we should be always spending time with people whatever like i think if you're there on your with, with yourself with your own thoughts with no music perhaps no podcasts i think that could be like so rewarding because you're, you're gonna figure out yourself like like you said like get getting getting to know yourself i think solitude is very important like just to do that i think for the general population and you also mentioned like nutrients and so on like you're trying to get nutrients the optimum amount of nutrients in your in your diet and so on but how do you know if you have enough nutrients how do you know if you're nutrient deficient that's a good question and 
so beyond say getting tests done to assess that sort of thing it's there's no hard and fast way to know as such uh, one way you could use there's an app called chronometer mm-hmm. which is similar to my fitness pal in that it's a tracking app but its database for micronutrients so vitamins and minerals is much much better than my fitness pals now it's not as user friendly as my fitness pal so for for my clients and for us as coaches we use my fitness pal still but occasionally we might use chronometer to get an assessment of where someone's overall nutrient intake is at um but i mean there's guidelines for this to try and make that happen without having to track it all so for example eating a wide variety of foods is one of the best ways to improve the nutrient density of the diet because different foods have different nutrient profiles. So for example, like fruits and vegetables is a really good example. Try and eat a wide variety of colors of those because the color usually denotes some sort of nutrient that's in that food. So Purple foods have a lot of anthocyanins, they're called. So they're just they're plant compounds that confer some health. Um, things that are orange have things like beta-carotene in them. So without having to say, okay, you need to go eat this amount of this particular vitamin or mineral, it's like, okay, let's try and presume that your bases are covered based on what you do here. So eating all the colors you can on a regular basis looking at things that are commonly deficient in the diet. So they're the omega-3 fats. So either you're eating oily fish a couple of times a week, so that's salmon, mackerel, sardines, anchovies, or herring. Either you eat those a couple of times a week or you take a supplement. That's easy. You need those fats, so those are your options. Vitamin D, this time of year, like I already mentioned, you're not getting it elsewhere. You're not getting it from your diet, so you need to supplement with it. And when we do get to the time of year where it is possible to synthesize enough vitamin D. You actually have to make an effort for that as well. So you need to get, you know, 15 minutes face and forearm exposure in the daytime sun without sun cream on five days a week, say, will cover you for your vitamin D. But you can see, you can imagine how people might not even get that even in the summertime. Yeah. If, you know, if they're in an office all day, they don't go out for, don't go outside for lunch potentially, um, or maybe they don't go away at all. You know, you can still miss out on that. So some people might need to supplement all year round with vitamin D. Um, and then magnesium is a common common enough deficiency. But pretty much if you can eat a lot of plant foods, a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruits in a wide variety of colors, that's going to cover you for a lot. And then what plants don't have, animal products tend to have. So if you then eat a wide variety of uh, you know, meats. So, you know, things like beef, chicken, fish, again, they all have different nutrient profiles. And it really just comes back to that variety piece. The more variety you can have, the more nutrients you're likely to be getting in your diet. And even things like nuts and seeds. So instead of, say, only eating like chia seeds and peanut butter as those sources, you know, there's, there's cashews, there's pecan nuts, Brazil nuts, macadamia nuts, walnuts, almonds. There's a huge amount of variety there. So looking and, eat, and beans and pulses and things like that, there's a huge amount of them. So as much variety as you can handle within reason because it does become impractical past a certain point 
to try and make every meal completely different. Like I don't like you need to, you know, you need to take stock of what's most important. What are the big rocks in the jar? So, you know, if someone, it doesn't matter if someone's eating a hugely varied diet, like if they're eating too much or too little, that's going to be the priority to resolve first. You know, maybe they're not even enough protein. Maybe their macronutrient intake is not covered up yet. Um, maybe they need to look at that first. And then you can start looking at micronutrients that are going to help you optimize health. Hmm. And then protein is a big one, I think. Like for me, especially, like I, I'm never sure how much protein I need to do, like how much protein I need to get. Like a lot of people say you need, like just consume more than you need or whatever. But like, is that true? Like, is that actually good for your health? Does it not just kind of go to your kidneys or whatever and just, um, like how much protein should an average person consume? I suppose if you go to the gym, you need more protein. But a lot of people say like one gram per body weight, or one one gram per kilo, or like one point five and so on. Like, what's your kind of go to number? My go-to number is between 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight and 2.5 kilograms or 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. Anywhere in that range, uh, definitely if someone's active and is exercising a lot, they they need to be in that range. Usually, we go to the higher end if someone is dieting, if they're in a calorie deficit, so they don't have as much nutrition coming in overall. Um, so that will just help with being full and maintaining muscle tissue and gaining muscle tissue. If someone's eating at maintenance calories or in a surplus, say, they can probably get away with the lower intake of or the lower end of that range. Um, but also, you you want to you want to get feedback from how well you're recovering. So if your recovery isn't as good as you think it should be, maybe you try an extra 20, 30 grams of protein um, in the higher end of that range, potentially and see if that makes a difference for you. Obviously, there's many factors that play into recovery, but under-eating protein based on someone's specific needs and how much they're training. And like the, pro- the, the general protein guidelines are too low, I think, at the moment. Like they're only 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight or, or something like that. So I think at the bare minimum, say, for someone who's not exercising, at least one gram per kilogram. But I think really most people would be doing well to get 1.5 grams per kilogram. Um, if someone is is carrying a lot of extra body fat, though, I should say, um, that will skew that uh, determination of protein intake. So for someone who's obese or over, very overweight, probably 0.6 grams per, per kilogram of body weight is, or probably not, probably 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight is probably going to be uh, enough because you know if you have someone who's say 140 kilos uh, but most of that is excess fat tissue like you, you don't need them eating two times uh, body weight in terms of protein there um, so that's just one factor to consider but for most people 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilo is good mm. and it is important yeah like I'm, I'm de- I've been definitely consuming less protein than that like over the, over the last year or so but I'm curious to know, like, how do I know if I'm protein deficient? How do I know if I need to do, if I need to get more protein? Well, like I said, if you're, if you feel like you're not recovering well from exercise, um, but I feel like even, I am. I'm not, yeah, I, I feel like I am. Okay. Um, other signs would be even, even simple things like hair, skin, nails not being in as good condition as they should be. Right. Because you need sufficient protein for that. Um, like you're, you're obviously not going to be 
uh, clinically deficient in protein. Like you're not going to be eating that little. So if you feel like you're getting enough based on what you're doing and it's enough to support your goals, like if you're if you're training and your performance is improving, then you're probably eating enough protein. And yeah, there is some individual variation to it, but yeah, most people will fall into that 1.5 to 2.5 gram per kilogram range. So it's it's going to be hard to say for sure how you'd know if you're deficient because like I said, you're not going to be clinically deficient. Like you're not going to get um, yeah, deficiency diseases associated with protein. Like no way. Mm. But if if you feel like there's anything lacking in your in your health or how you're feeling related to performance or recovery, you know you could probably look at having more protein and see does that help. And if it doesn't help, you know you can go look at something else. It's fine. And just kind of keep digging until you experiment, kind of yeah yeah okay and you obviously you mentioned that you like to read um stoicism and philosophy in general what other kind of books do you tend to like gravitate towards and read yeah so i i tend to divide reading into say personal development and then also something that's going to make me better as a coach which i suppose counts as personal development too Mm. but kind of like what you said as well things that expand your thinking uh i don't know if you've read that book range have you range i've heard about it yeah but i haven't yeah okay so the premise in that is that being widely skilled is a good thing right um so if you apply that to reading say being widely read is and it mentions that in the book as well but reading on a wide variety of topics and not being super narrow in what you're reading is good um so things that get you thinking differently, I suppose, and offer different viewpoints. If you have particular problems or issues, like, you know, the saying is that a, a clever person learns from their own mistakes, but a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. So that's that's where books, I think, come in and how they can offer most value is someone's writing about something that maybe you're going to deal with or you are dealing with. If you read that, then you have potential solutions and you'll be able to, to deal with that better when it comes up. So it's a pretty wide range of, of things that I read. Like I mentioned, I'll read things that give me better perspective on life. So Man's Search for Meaning is one of my favorite books mm. um, of all. That's uh, just That gives you perspective, but then it also has the philosophical elements to it as well. You know, so if people, are, if people are okay and surviving, going through concentration camps where everyone they've care, ever cared about has been killed, and they can come out with some sense of meaning and purpose. It's amazing. And I think I think we're all going to be fine when you compare it to that. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty wide range of stuff. I, I like Tim Ferriss and the likes of what he writes. And that's probably where I get a lot of book recommendations from. Is I used to listen to his podcast a lot. And you'd have like a wide range of authors on. And, you know, I, I rarely read a book that doesn't come recommended in some shape or form. Um, so, yeah, I, I just recently read, or I'm, I'm the last of Nassim Nicholas Taleb's series of books. So I'm, I'm, I have to finish Anti-Fragile, but I've, I've listened to the other ones. Um, so that they're about you know, thinking and fallacies and how we interpret the world. So that sort of stuff. Things that make you think better, have better perspective on life and make you a better person i suppose and you know the, the stoicism is huge so I, I read the daily stoic but i try to read the 
the original texts as well. And yeah, different different philosophies, uh, not just Stoicism, but that would be the main one. Mm. And on that note, is there any like one to three books that you have often recommended or give to others? Yeah, so that would be number one, Daily Stoic. Uh, number two, probably Man's Search for Meaning. And then number three is one called Nonviolent Communication. So that's just about well how we how we communicate with each other in terms of how we express our own needs and can have let's say difficult conversations without drawing a lot of conflict into it and you see element like one thing you'll probably find is if you read a wide range of things you see the same stuff coming up over and over again even in different fields so say nonviolent communication, there's there's sections on anger and how no one can make you angry. It's only if you interpret what they say and give that significance that will make you angry. So that's, you know, you can draw links back to Stoic philosophy in that. And that's something I've noticed in terms of all the reading I've done. The same messages tend to pop up over and over, especially if you're reading in the same field. Uh, I think you can only read so many excuse me, self-help books until it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to get anything new from this. So it's, it's more about the application then. But that's what, that's what I find when you read widely, you, you can draw a lot of links and connections from different things and probably help you. you know, so you might read something that's completely off topic to say work, but then it might help you in work somehow. And what are some of the habits that are you that have helped you the most in the last five years? This probably comes back to the stoicism again, but choosing how to interpret life events and situations. So knowing that you have a choice in how you perceive things. So you actually have a control over your perception of things. And I suppose from that, cultivating indifference to things that don't really matter that aren't significant that's probably one of the most helpful habits that i think anyone can have and certainly helped me just helps you not get waylaid or unfocused by small things you know it's not like you're like a puppet on a string being pulled one way or another um so that's probably like mostly the down to uh to mentality and mindset i think um like obviously obviously the the health practices like you know eating properly and sleeping enough uh they're they're obviously very important but i'm trying to give you something that's a little bit beyond that because yeah that's basic stuff um anything else that's probably the main one yeah no that's fair enough and obviously you feel stressed or overwhelmed sometimes. Maybe you don't, I'm not sure. But when you do feel like that, when you do feel overwhelmed or unfocused in general, how do you tend to deal with that? I think uh, journaling is very helpful. So just writing what you're, you know, about what's what has you unfocused or feeling overwhelmed. It can be very therapeutic. Um it's yeah, it's extremely helpful. It's something I recommend to a lot of my clients as well if they're if they're struggling in any way, shape, or form. Uh, just just writing about it, and then trying to assess what it is that's actually that's actually bothering you potentially. So looking at it with a more objective viewpoint, 
and saying, okay, you know, should I be worried about this? You know, what's what's the worst case scenario here? Is there anything I, I can actually do about it? Um, if there is, then, you know, try and make a plan instead of just worrying. And if there isn't, then, you know, I just have to let it go. So you might not always be able to change your situation, but you can change your perspective on things. Um, usually if I'm feeling distracted, a lot of time it's, it's down to my phone distracting me. So just not being in the same room as my phone, uh, it helps a lot with distraction. Um, like I said, maintaining perspective, practicing gratitude is really important. So I'll, I'll definitely tend to feel less overwhelmed or unfocused if I'm regularly practicing gratitude in the gratitude journal. Um, you know, there's a, there's an exercise from stoicism, like this starry night. So, you know, looking up in the sky and considering, I don't, I don't literally do this, but the, the premise of it, considering where we are, like we're on a little rock, tiny little rock in an ever expanding universe. And we're only going to be here for a split second based on the relative time or the existence of the whole universe. And then in that context, is it really worth being overwhelmed or unfocused? Um, so that, that can kind of help ground, ground me and uh, not feel so overwhelmed. And then actually a good supplement is ashwagandha, the, the KSM 66 variety of ashwagandha. Ashwagandha, never heard this before. Uh, no, okay. Okay. It's a herbal supplement, which is, it's come to prominence now in the last probably year or two. Uh, I've, I've been using it since before then, but it uh, helps the body cope with stress. So you will notice that you feel less stressed and less overwhelmed, um, sleep better because it helps reduce stress levels. So if you're not sleeping well because you're stressed or overwhelmed, it helps with that and therefore you you're more rested, so therefore you feel better. So it's like a, a positive feedback loop there. Um, but that that's really useful in terms of a, you know, a hard and fast thing that you can do tomorrow to try and try and make things better. Hmm. And how do you tend to organize your information? Because for me today, just before this uh, podcast interview, I was just looking at the different things I captured over the week because I have like a GCD kind of principle. So like whenever talk comes into my head, I write it down somewhere. So then I have like a database of all my thoughts. And mm. I, was just, I was just flicking through the different things I was thinking throughout the week. And there's so many website I wa- websites I wanted to visit, so many different links I wanted to read about and so on. And I'm curious to know, like, does that happen to you? Like, how do you tend to deal with this information, like the things, the constant amount of things to learn and so on? I'm not sure where I'm going with this question, but basically, <laughs> I guess, like, how do you organize your information that you accumulate throughout your day to day? Yeah, it's a good point. And you're right. There is an, a never ending amount of information that you can be bombarded with. So I, I personally use Evernote as an app to accumulate all, all this information. Um, if so if, if there's something I come across that maybe I want to come back to later mm. from uh, Google Chrome to Evernote, and it's there. Um, and I suppose you have to be quite ruthless about where you're getting information from and what you're consuming. So making sure that it's of value to you. So because, you know, you, you could be you could be on 50 different email newsletter lists like and you could spend your entire week 
reading newsletters and then reading the referenced materials in newsletters. So taking stock of ones that are most valuable and I suppose like planning and allocating a certain amount of time to reading those things. Like, so you need to know, I suppose, when you're going to do them in your week or in your day. So when are you actually going to read this? Like, where have I blocked out time that I'm going to do this um, if it is important to me? And that's, that's kind of what I do for myself. So like I'll have, you know, several books on the go at any one time. I'll have a certain amount of research reviews or research articles that I'll want to, to get to and just blocking out the time in the week saying, okay, this is when I'm going to do this. You're making an appointment with yourself to get it done and, and then you just go and do it. And what kind of other things do you block out for yourself uh, to book an appointment with yourself? And like the gym might be an example. Like what other things do you put in into your diary? Yeah, so I mean, my my days aren't that thrillingly exciting in terms of the variety of things that I do. Like it's fairly routine a lot of the time. So it's you know I have a certain amount of time set for reading the whatever books I'm reading uh, and stu- and whatever I'm studying. I also have the time in the morning to read some of the philosophy and I'll have several books that are like I call one pagers. So I might only read one page or two a day of a few of those. Like Daily Stoic is a good example of that and it works really well for that. Um, So I block out time for training and then I try and schedule, you know, on my busiest work days, I'll, I'll probably schedule less reading time and less training time because I may not have time to do it. And then those are the time, kind of things that I block out. So, yeah, training, um, if I'm doing meal prep, that's probably like a once a week thing. I might need to do that. Um, training, reading, um, like walking the dog, that's that's fairly routine. And that's, that's pretty much it, like, I would say. Yeah, that's fair enough. Mm. Uh, this might be an interesting question, but let's just say you're chatting to a 40-year-old Brian. And what would this 40-year-old Brian say to the current <laughs> self, Brian? What would 40-year-old me say to me now? It's a good question. Um, hopefully, I'd say, well, hopefully, well, yeah, it is me, isn't it? So I can say, hopefully, I would say, well done to me. Uh, you've done great in the last 13 years between now and then. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky question. Because you wonder then, would you stop yourself doing certain things in your life or going down certain paths, or are they very much formative to who you actually become anyway? Mm. So, yeah, you hear a lot of people talk about that, like adversity that has shaped who they are and has allowed them to be successful and the obstacle is the way. So it's it's interesting, like, would you try and change things because then you don't know what's going to happen it's quite a yeah it's quite a thought-provoking question hopefully he would just say at least well done you've done great <laughs> that's 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 fair i'm not even <laughs> sure what i would say um it, it is a thought-provoking question and the other question i wanted to ask you probably heard this before actually but uh let's just say there's a billboard and on that billboard well, first of all, anyone in the world can see this billboard. So if a stranger's walking by on the street, uh, they look up at the sky and they see this giant billboard just in the sky, chilling there. 
with a message and that message is from you from you from you brian so what message would you put up on that billboard i would say treat yourself like you would treat your best friend and can you go into more detail there (laughs) yeah and the reason for that is that something that i've noticed and observed in working with so many people in the coaching practice is we're really really hard on ourselves and people really struggle with self-compassion and someone asked me before a friend of mine asked me before what one thing would you change if you could for on a on a broad scale for people that work with you probably expecting me to say you know eat more vegetables or something like that but it's it's so many good people putting so much pressure and so much negative self-talk onto themselves and that's one of the main ways i try and frame practicing more self-compassion like you know talk to yourself like you would talk to your best friend do you say things to yourself that you would never dream of saying to your best friend if so why do you say them to yourself so that that's the basis of that is an act of engaging in more self-compassion and not being so critical of yourself and so negative in your thinking about yourself um so that that's what i would like people to do more of is another way to frame that is you know you talk to yourself like you would talk to a young child so you'll likely be honest with them you'll likely guide them and help them if they've made any mistakes but you're not going to berate them and belittle them and put them down and that's what i think we can do to ourselves a lot of the time and how does someone become more self-compassionate? Like, is it just to, like, self-affirmations? Like, I, I love myself and stuff like this? Or is it perhaps, like, what what are some good ways to become more self-compassionate, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Affirmations are useful. And, you know, if people are struggling with this, I do ask them to write down things that they like about themselves, usually that aren't related to their a physical shape because a lot of people that I'm working with are trying to change that or they don't like that about themselves and sometimes I'll frame it like if if the entire world was blind and no one could see your physical form you know what would they what would they say about you like what would what would the people who care about you say about you what what type of person are you and thinking about those kind of questions answering those is a good way to get started i think practicing gratitude and maybe with a bit more emphasis on yourself. So, you know, I, ha- I have this body. What am I grateful for about it? What does it allow me to do and achieve on a day-to-day basis? Um, so that, that's, that's verging into more body positivity, which is something that is important in, in my line of work. But, yeah, affirmations, practicing gratitude, I think, just helps immensely. And... Taking taking note and being aware and more mindful. So within that, I suppose a mindfulness practice like meditation can be useful. But being able to take stock of what you're actually saying to yourself and assessing that maybe through the filter of would I say that to my best friend? And it's like retraining yourself, uh, rewiring your brain. So initially, it'll probably be difficult to to stop this negative self talk. But the more and more you practice, the more you catch yourself, maybe you write down these thoughts and see what they are. And then you say, okay, well, is this true? Um, probably not. Would I say this to my friend? If not, why not? 
and how could you rephrase it in that case to be more self-compassionate so if you say something to yourself that you wouldn't dare say to your best friend what way can you reshape it so that you would be happy to say it to them and therefore to yourself yeah, I think I think this whole issue of like no not issue, I think the whole like concept of being self compassionate and compassionate towards others. It might sound weird and wishy washy, but I feel like we're all connected in some way. We're all just like humans trying to, you know, live our life the best way we can on this small rocket, like you said, in an ever expanding universe. And I think that's just like there's no reason for us not to be like, you know, compassionate towards others or towards ourselves especially. Mm. and especially with the whole fact that you know there's social media out there and a lot of people spend a lot of hours on their phones just comparing themselves to compare themselves to other people saying oh look at this person he has that body he has he's going on holidays why am i not on holidays or like he's in bali why am i not there and so on and just constantly comparing ourselves to other people and it just robbed us out of our you know we're just not happy anymore i feel i don't know those are just kind of my, my thoughts as you were <laughs> Uh, talking there <laughs> and what are your favorite ways to learn new information so there's pro there's different ways to to learn as you're probably aware and i think that's i think it's important for people to experiment with the different ways so you could be more of an audio learner you could be more of a visual learner so some people might benefit more from listening to books or podcasts some people may need diagrams in a visual sense, some people are good at just reading and writing um, to help them learn stuff. Some people are more kinesthetic, where physically doing things helps them learn. Mm. Uh, for myself, I, so I think it's important for people to experiment with all of those and see which ways actually resonate with them the most. Because I think the way we're educated is, is there's a lot of emphasis on reading and writing maybe a little bit of visual in terms of diagrams, but there's more to it than that if you want. So it's worth exploring to see which way suits you best. Now, I think for myself, reading and writing does suit me the best. That is my, my favorite way to learn. And then the best test of seeing do you know something or how well you know something is if you have to try and teach it to somebody else. <laughs> if you think you know about a topic and then you're asked to go teach it to somebody else, you suddenly see all the holes and it can very quickly unravel and you're like, shit, I need to go and look at this again because I definitely don't know this as well as I thought I did now that I have to go and try and teach it to someone. So that, I think, that's one of the best ways to learn. Use that as a litmus test to see how well you know something. And if you can't, comfortably explain it or teach it to somebody else depending on the subject you know where possible fairly simplistically then you need to go back and, and try it try learn it again mm. uh, just a few more questions before we finish up um let's just say what's actually what's your personal philosophy on life like how do you live your life each day like what's your personal philosophy i guess mm. that's a nice question my personal philosophy is, as much as possible, be a good human and do the right thing and maintain that perspective that we are extremely fortunate. Anyone who's going to be able to listen to this podcast, 
anyone who you know has the means to listen to this is we're all extremely lucky we're all already in the top few percent of the world in terms of how fortunate we are so never letting yourself forget that i suppose that's where it comes back to practicing gratitude and reading things that help you maintain perspective and another another one i like is that you know life life is meaningless by itself until you actually add meaning to it yourself and i think that's an important one to keep in mind and if i was to you know give advice to people like there's several things i think i've repeated through this podcast so far in terms of being grateful for what you have but also getting to know yourself and really spending a little time and that's what you got at with talking about solitude and i think a lot of people aren't wouldn't be comfortable spending that much time by themselves so i think you really need to know who you are and what you stand for and what's important to you and then try and live accordingly and i think i think if you do that you're going to be in pretty good shape for having a meaningful or fulfilling life experience well i think that's a brilliant way to finish off the podcast uh, wrap up the podcast and before we do finish up is there anything out there that you'd like to say mention anything you'd like to promote anything at all I suppose just if anyone is interested in finding more about our nutrition coaching services in the fit clinic you can visit thefitclinic.ie also on instagram it's the fit clinic if you want to follow me on instagram it's brian ohengesa um where i you know, I post more stuff about this philosophy and these sort of things that we've probably been talking about more, as well as some nutrition stuff. But these days, I, I keep more of the nutrition side of things to the the business pages. Um, so yeah, if you if you have any interest in checking out those services, or if you want to reach out to me directly, um, that's that's where to find me and the Fitlink. Well, thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Me too, Dom. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the episode and I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the show notes on the website chasingpassion.ie. That is chasingpassion.ie. If you're looking to support the podcast in any way, I would really appreciate if you could leave a short review on Apple Podcasts and this would literally take about 60 seconds and it will help the podcast grow in so many ways. You can find the link to Apple Podcasts in the episode description or just simply search Chasing Passion on Apple Podcast and it should pop right up. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. It means the world to me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, just thank you so much and have a great day.